to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we thank you for this day and especially for this service and for these young men and women, Lord, who have worked tirelessly in, in their days of kindergarten to elementary school into junior high and high school and even beyond. And we realize that they, Lord, were watched over and cared for by loving and concerned parents who we thank you for as well. And as we sit before your word today, Lord, we ask that you would grant them the wisdom and understanding from what we will be looking at today because we realize that they have already had to experience a lot of changes in this society and in the culture and in our nation that may have at some time brought a lot of confusion to them. And it is my prayer and my desire that, Lord, in the time that they have been here with Pastor Sam, some of them and others, uh, with their families, Lord, searching your word, searching the scriptures, and praying and trusting in you that, Lord, all of this will help them to begin to make sense of what their future or their futures may hold. So I pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit upon them and all of us here today, that we might embrace, Lord, your wisdom and your understanding and the strength and the power of your spirit in your word, so that each and every one of us, Lord God, will have a better perspective of the changes and of the struggles and the trials that we will be facing as, as believers in Jesus Christ in a world gone mad and crazy as we seek the return of Jesus. May we do so, Lord God, with anticipation and with excitement and with exaltation to you for the promises that you've made to us. 
that he will come to gather us together, that where he is, there we will be also. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage in Second Chronicles chapter 7 has always intrigued me, and it's not the only place that we see this, but in this place in particular, and this is why I chose this passage uh, for you this morning, it's a passage that has fascinated and captivated my interest in the eternal omniscience of God. Now, that is the great characteristic and attribute that God is all-knowing and all-seeing and has seen all things from beginning to end because he is over and above all of his creation. I hope that you have learned that in your time here at the church. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created all things by the word of his power, is not only omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful, and he's not only omnipresent, which means that he's present anywhere and everywhere, but we must remember that he is eternally sovereign and in control of all things in all of his creation. In fact, in Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, God himself, through the prophet, says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do my pleasure. Now, the intriguing thing about the situation with Solomon here is that the Lord was pleased with Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, if you go back to chapter 6, you'll read the prayer of Solomon at the dedication of the temple, which is the house for God that Solomon's father David wanted to build for the Lord but was not allowed because he was a man of war. Now, Solomon whose name in Hebrew is Shlomo. And from that name, of course, we have a word that we all should know, which is Shalom, which is the word for peace. The word that represents the wholeness and completeness of God in a person's life. But it would be to build the house of God by one of peace, a man of peace. And David, of course, had been a man of war. So, what you need to understand is all of this was taking place while the omniscient God, the God who knows all things and in his foreknowledge knows the things before and after that take place in our own lives, that he knew what would happen in Solomon's life later as well as what kind of judgment would come upon his own rebellious people. So what I'm saying is about this passage as we'll see in just a moment that God came to Solomon, came to him by night, and spoke to Solomon, and told him these things, that he was pleased with his prayer. In a very present time, knowing what Solomon didn't know, that Solomon would later fall into some great sin, and that later, because of all of that, 
The nation of Israel would be divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and both kingdoms would eventually be so, uh, their, their understanding of God would be so worn down that they would eventually be taken into captivity, the northern kingdom to Assyria and the southern kingdom to Babylon. In other words, judgment came upon the people. But it was at that moment when God spoke to Solomon, just as I'm speaking to you right now in the sense that I'm speaking to you presently, right now, this very moment. I don't know what your lives are going to be like tomorrow, but God does. And what he's pleased is in your faith today in him. Now you'll have your times of your ups and your downs, but he's pleased with you this moment in your faith and your trust in him. Now, I would venture to say that some of you probably were forced a little bit to wake up this morning to get here, right? Possibly. Some of you maybe have been excited about it. You get to wear your cap and gown again. And you do it in a place where God is honored. That, to me, is what's special here. But remember this. God knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He knew that this day you would be here, hearing his word, and would want you to be able to respond to it the rest of your life. So, the Lord more literally said to Solomon this. Now the text says, if I shut up heaven. But literally he said, when I shut up heaven. What does that tell you? He already knew he was going to judge Israel, right? So he says, when I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or when I command the locusts to devour the land, or when I send pestilence among my people, in other words, judgment was inevitable. But, he said, if my people, and again, literally, he said, when my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I want you to concentrate on that word humble. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves. This is a great moment for you all. But as great of a moment that it is, God is still God, and we're still his people. So we will always need to humble ourselves before him. But as I said, judgment is inevitable. It was inevitable for Israel. It is inevitable in the times in which we live. In the days and times in which we live, how can it not be? Unless we bury our heads in the sand, we have to be at least minimally aware that, that this world is in great turmoil. Every nation's leaders on every continent are quite mindful of the potential for, for all-out global war. Some of these leaders are even waiting for any sort of violation by another country just to show some show of force, be it military, nuclear, or both. Other nations like Iran are ready to develop their nuclear capabilities with one goal in mind, to destroy the state of Israel and to destroy the United States of America. And what is sad is that we are helping them. You need to understand, 
that we've helped them by giving them billions of our own tax dollars for them to fulfill their desires in destroying Israel and the United States. Crazy? Insane? Well, I want you to remember the words of Jesus himself in answer to his disciples' questions. In Matthew chapter 24, turn there in your Bibles because I want you to see this. Matthew 24, verses 1 through 8. Because here it says that Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And by the way, what Jesus had been doing before this was, was, was kind of significant because he had, he had gotten into the face of the religious leaders of his own people and called them hypocrites. And they were, leading the, they, they, they were leading their people astray. So time was coming for Jesus to be taken and to be arrested and taken to the cross. But here in Matthew 24, it says that Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Now you have to understand that they're showing Jesus the temple as if to say, listen Jesus, this great temple that Herod built is a magnificent place. Isn't it a great place for us to be? And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And close to 40 years later, that came to pass. Nearly 40 years later, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. And not one stone was left upon another where the temple stood. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? Now they're intrigued with what Jesus said. Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Now I want you all to remember the word deceive there. That's a very critical word here. You're going to see it a few times. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. There's a second mention of the word. Verse 6. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Do you remember what it was that the Lord said to Solomon? When I shut up heaven, when I send pestilence and famine, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. And Jesus is saying in the last days that's going to happen. Judgment is inevitable. But then he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. It's just the beginning of a period of great tribulation that will take place. And we're not there yet. I'm quite aware that uh, Pastor Sam has, been, has, has taught out of the book of Revelation to you all. So you know, whether you got it from me or whether you got it from him, you know one thing. These things are inevitable and they're going to happen. But if you jump down to verse 11, notice the word again. Many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. 
Jump down to verse 24. It says, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. That's where we are today. There's so many voices being thrown out at, at, at us from all different sides, even in the church. Saying that it's okay to live this way or to live that way. Forget what God's word says. Let's, let's, you know, just realize, you know, just welcome here. This is a safe place. We have to be very careful with what we hear. And who we hear it from. Because what concerned Jesus more to warn his disciples about the days to come were not so much the wars and the rumors of wars. Remember that he said, see that you be not troubled. He was more concerned about the deception. Four times we see the word deceive in this passage. He doesn't want his people to be deceived. Being deceived by false prophets, by false teachers, and false Christs. And this is the great challenge for the believer in Jesus Christ today. It is a great challenge for all of those sitting behind you. It is a great challenge for you sitting here before me today. If you are indeed truly a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the challenge. And don't be deceived into thinking that there won't be judgment on this great nation in which we live. And I commend those of you that are preparing to go into, the mili- into military service. We pray for you. We, we thank you for what you're doing. You know, this Memorial Day weekend is a very special weekend. I hope you understand what this weekend means. It's a time that we take to remember those who have given their lives in military service for this country, for the very freedoms that we have had in this country for so many years. And I know that we like Memorial Day and we like, uh, you know, Veterans Day and we like all kinds of days and we like the 4th of July because we think of what? Hot dogs! Or do we really think about the sacrifices that people gave so that we can be here today? And I have to say in a relatively free country because a lot of things aren't free anymore. That used to be. But praise God that we can still be here today and read God's word. If they want to come after us, that's okay. I'll welcome them. We'll just get louder telling them about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So let me just tell you, don't be deceived into thinking that there won't be judgment on this great nation in which we live or that we can avoid great judgment by electing the right candidate for the office of President of the United States. If I had another hour, I'd talk about that. But as inevitable as it was for judgment to fall on the rebellious nation of Israel, who, by the way, were God's people, after warning upon warning by the Lord through Moses, through the patriarchs, through the prophets about their disobedience and their wickedness that would eventually come because they they just rejected the word of God. So judgment is inevitable upon a nation that was founded on the principles and the laws of God's word, which is this nation of ours. A nation that was known for standing with the modern state of of Israel from its rebirth in 1948 until it was decided recently that we would no longer support them wholeheartedly. That's put us into more trouble with God than anything else. But a lot of other stuff goes into play here as well. But the words of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, ring so true today. And I don't want you to miss this, so I want you to turn there. Romans chapter 1. 
And if I had another hour and a half, maybe two hours, we'd go through this whole thing. So I'm going to give you a little, little piece. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I want to begin there. And again, it has to begin here because it has to begin with what you know about Jesus and what you should know about your life in Christ. Paul says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the good news that brings salvation to those who will believe in Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of that. And graduates, I don't want you to be ashamed of Jesus. And I don't want you to be ashamed of his gospel. Because, as he goes on to say, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first, because it came to the Jews first through Jesus. And also to the Gentile or to the Greek. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now it's important that you understand why I'm telling you this. Because the first attack on you when you go into a, a place of higher education is your faith in Christ. I'll get to that in a moment. Verse four, uh, 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just it says, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The encouragement here is, if you're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're living covered with the righteousness of Christ, and you live by faith in Christ, and in Christ alone. And then he says in verse 18, for the wrath of God, by the way, that is synonymous with what? The judgment of God. And what is inevitable? The judgment of God on a world gone mad. And notice again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now let me explain that. That God is, is, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So what, should, what should that tell us? That tells us that we, every day we need to consider ourselves before God to be godly and righteous in what we do in our lives. Not embracing the things of the world, but embracing the things of God. And then he says that that wrath is coming against the unrighteousness and godliness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. What does it mean to hold the truth? Literally, it means to hold back or to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The truth of righteousness is held back by unrighteousness. And this is what the wrath of God and the judgment of God is coming against when it does come. To suppress truth is what many nations used to do, like the, uh, like the Soviet Union many years ago, and they probably still do it as Russia, uh, uh, you know, the, the Confederate States uh, of Russia. But, but nonetheless, you know, they, they, they control the press. They would tell the press what they wanted the people to hear, but they were holding back the truth. So they were suppressing truth. So this is what the enemy wants to do with us. He wants to hold back the truth and hold and suppress the truth from you in unrighteousness. And this is what God is going to judge. And then he says in verse 19, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them. 
For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. May I say to you that we oftentimes heard of people who call themselves atheists, and they say, I don't believe in God. But the Bible says inside of them, they know there is a God. But they call themselves atheists because they then declare willfully that they don't want to believe in God. But do you know that the reason why we know that? Because in the book of Revelation, when judgment starts to come upon the unrighteous, man on the earth at that time is going to stick his face, his, uh, his fist up at God and as if in God's face to blame him for what's going on. Now, let me ask you this. If they don't believe in God, why are they blaming God? You got the picture? This is what this passage is telling us. That when you stand before God, there is no excuse. Because God has made it clear through creation, through his word, through all that is seen, that he has done all of this. And he did it as he said he did in his word. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, you've probably been told in school, you know, that this earth, you know, is in its billions and billions and billions and billions of years old. And that dinosaurs were killed at 60 billion years ago or 60 million years ago or whatever it was, you know, through an asteroid thing. Did any of those guys live that long to see that? Any of those scientists, you see? What did you learn about science in school? You learned that to, to, to be scientific, you have to have empirical evidence, right? You know what empirical evidence is? Evidence that is gathered and collected, that says this is true. This is why evolution is still really a theory, except that now they're telling you it's not. And that the gospel and that the, the word of God, you know, well, this is a fantasy. It's a fairy tale. I'd rather believe what God says, that he created the world in six full 24-hour uh, days than this stuff about, you know, two amoeba flying through the air and colliding, and all of a sudden we have what we have today, billions of years later. So what I'm telling you is, that God is just saying that in, in the end, we'll all stand before God and we stand before him without excuse, without excuse. Because in verse 21, that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Stop. Vain in their imaginations. You know what vain is? Vanity. Kind of like only thinking about self rather than thinking about others. Uh, okay, I've got to refer to your parents and your grandparents. Remember back in the 70s, you know, Carly Simon sang a song. Uh, I think she was singing about James Taylor, as a matter of somebody told me that. You're so vain, you probably, you probably think this song is about you. How many of you remember that song? Okay, those are the oldies but goodies, you see. All those raising their hands. You're so vain, you probably think this song is about you. That's what vanity is. You think that everything's about you. Everything centers around you. But notice what it says about it. They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. When you shine a light upon yourself, your, dark, your heart goes dark. Because it's not about yourself. It's never about us. It always is about Jesus. And then he says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. 
and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And you might think, well, that was just the heathens and the pagans of the past and, and the heathens and the pagans of the present. But you know, that goes all the way back to the receiving of the law on Mount Sinai. When Moses went up to the mountain and waited upon God to give him the law to bring back to the people and the people were anxious and they wanted to worship God they got so upset waiting that they told Aaron, the brother of Moses, listen, just, just make us a golden calf. That's how they perceive God, a golden calf. And they turn God into a, an image of a beast. And God came and judged those who did that. Judgment, you see, is inevitable when we fail to trust God. But this is just the tip of the iceberg when, we, when you read on and you see the things that God has given man over to. Because as you read on, you'll see that it says that he gave man over to the uncleanness, to the lusts of their own hearts. To vile affections, which means despicable desires. And then the worst is that he gave them over to a reprobate mind. A rejected, unapproved, worthless, degenerate, troublemaking, good-for-nothing mind. Now you're probably thinking, well, I knew a couple of my classmates that were just like that, right? Of course, there's none of you guys. All right. But isn't it, the, isn't it the case, though, that when somebody is so gone, their mind is worthless, and all they think of is bad things and troubling things. God has given them over because they rejected the truth. And that's a judgment in itself, to be turned over to the worst things imaginable in a person's mind and heart to their destruction. So I want you to consider the whole list of things from verse 26 through verse 32 of chapter 1 of Romans. And what the scripture tells us is that those who do such things are without excuse, even if permitted by law. And you know that about a year ago, back in June of, of, of uh, 2015, the Supreme Court... made same-sex marriage a, a, a law of the land. And I'm just going to tell you that the Bible calls that an abomination. So now we have approved an abomination to be part of the law of the land. Some of these things that are become the law of the land, God has said, don't, don't do. Because it's an abomination to me. It's the worst kind of sin before God. So this is the world that you are stepping into. And you've already been there, actually. But you're going to step into it more and more. I don't know why my microphone is starting to sound kind of weird. Something happened. But it's a world where previous accomplishments, your previous accomplishments do not matter as long as you are believers in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because that's going to be the first thing that's attacked as I said before in institutions of higher education there is tolerance for every person of any religion or no religion but there is no tolerance whatsoever for the Christian there's no tolerance for those of you who believe in Jesus Christ but that is now the world in which we live. And the statistics are startling. 
And I want you guys to listen to this because I don't want you to be part of these statistics. I want you to be on the good side of the statistic. But only 20% of those that went to church as teenagers, only 20%, now think about that, that means there's an 80% over there that are opposite of this. But only 20% of those churched as teens remain spiritually active at age 29. That's startling. The reason is the next statistic. 61% are are disengaged in their 20s. 61% of those who grew up in the church as preteens and teens are disengaged in their 20s. That means by the time you get into the middle of of your college career, you could be far from God. 19% that never were churched remain unconnected. Because there is no good witness from the, you know, there's not enough in the 20% to bring the knowledge of God in Christ to those who are not churched. And Paul nailed the problem. The Apostle Paul nailed the problem in his second letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. Let me tell you a little bit about Timothy. Timothy was, was a young man when he first met Paul. A very young man, probably in his teens. But he became faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul sent Timothy as a young man to be the pastor of the church of Ephesus. But as a young man, he faced a lot of, of, of struggles and trials because, you know, a lot of people say, well, he's too young to do, be doing this or whatever. Paul knew what he was doing. Eventually, Timothy would grow, but by the time that Paul writes a second letter to him, Timothy has become a little discouraged. And Paul writes a second letter to encourage him to stay in the faith, stay in the, in the things, you know, God, because God didn't give us a spirit of fear, he tells him but of power, love, and of a sound mind. So in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, he tells tells Timothy this. He says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. And I want to to define the word perilous here for you because this is a a word that that is actively happening in the church today. It is a perilous time for the church of Jesus Christ because the word perilous comes from a Greek word that means to strike, to weaken. To strike, to weaken. And and the striking comes to weaken faith. So it's a perilous time in the world, generally speaking, but it is a perilous time in the church. And so he tells Timothy, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of themselves, of their own selves. Again, is that not the problem that we've already talked about? It's not about loving self, it's about loving Jesus. Men shall be lovers of themselves, covetous, which means they want the the things that belong to others, boasters, they boast about themselves, everything's about them, proud, pride is the very root of all sin, blasphemers, you know when you get yourself into focus of self, you don't focus on the Lord anymore, so in a sense that is a blasphemy. Disobedient to parents, well that's pretty relevant today, don't be disobedient to your parents, even if you think they're wrong, they're still your parents. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, which means not to have a compassionate heart. Truce breakers, you make a commitment, then you don't keep it. False accusers, you blame others, uh, uh, 
who didn't probably co commit what you said they did. Incontinent, very interesting word because it means without self-control. Fierce. We live in a fierce world today. A lot of ugliness, a lot of just people blowing up and attacking others. Despisers of those that are good. You do something good, there's always somebody on Facebook that tells you that you're an idiot. Traitors, heady, high-minded, which means arrogance, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. It says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. May I tell you that you can be in a church for a lot of years and you might have a form of godliness. I hope and pray that you've gone beyond that. I hope and pray that you have not a form of godliness, but that you have a godliness that comes because you've, you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Don't deny the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't deny the power of God in your life, especially now as you look ahead. Paul even says, from these, from such, turn away. Don't even spend time with them. This is societal degeneration. This is societal disintegration. And Paul not only nailed the problem, but he also gave Timothy a solution. Jump down to verse 10, the same chapter. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Paul tells Timothy, listen, you know my doctrine. You know what doctrine is? It's teaching. And this teaching was not a teaching of himself. It was the teaching of the word of God. You know my teaching. Comes straight from the word of God. Doesn't come from me. You know my teaching. You know my manner of life based on what? Manner of life based on the word of God. You know my purpose. What is my purpose? It's not for self. It's for God. It's for Christ. You know my faith. My faith is not in myself. It's not in people. It's in God. You know my long-suffering, the stuff that I've had to deal with in the many years of ministry. You know my charity. You know, you know my love for people. You know my patience, my persecutions, my afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. It was in Lystra where Paul and Timothy meet. As a young man, Timothy knew because that, this, was, this was when Paul was, was, was stoned to death. Well, nearly to death, he, he rose up from it, but uh, some people actually believe that Timothy, I mean that Paul actually was, was stoned to death and God raised him from the dead. And then he says, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Whatever persecutions you may go through as a believer in Jesus Christ, and I hope and pray you are, but whatever persecution you go through, remember that the Lord will deliver you. Remember verse 12 that says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So just remember this. You're going into a hostile world. And some people will say that you, you know, you just, you, you know, you're just nuts if you believe in the Bible and in God. But you live godly. You live godly. You trust the Lord. You stay there. And you learn how to stand for your faith. And then he says, but evil men and seducers, seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And there it is. There's that word deception again from Jesus. Paul uses it now. People are going to try to deceive you. You stand on the truth. Notice what he tells them in verse 14. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. 
and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. I know that some of you from your childhood learned the word of God. Others of you may have come in a little later, but nonetheless, you have it on your laps now. Don't make light of it. Read it. Get to know Jesus from it. Don't just know about him. Know him. And then he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, which means all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, in other words, for teaching, for reproof. In other words, you're going down the wrong road, the word of God is going to tell you, hey, what are you doing down over here? For correction. The correction is get you back on the right road. And then for instruction in righteousness, which means this is what you need to be doing now. In righteousness. It comes back to righteousness. It comes back to godliness. It comes back to being godly in the present age. That the man of God or the woman of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This is what you need. I entitled this message, Humility and Strength in Perilous Times. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, Humble yourself. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. Our strength is going to come because we say, as Paul said, when I am weak, then I'm strong. When I realize that the strength is not in me, but it's in Jesus Christ, and it's in his Holy Spirit, then I can live the way God wants me to live in this present age. Turn to Jeremiah 29. We're almost done, actually. Almost done. Jeremiah 29. I, I refer you to this because... As I mentioned before, the people were going to be judged. It was inevitable the judgment was going to come. And the children of Judah were going to go into captivity in Babylon. And here at the beginning of Jeremiah 29, God tells them they're going to be in captivity for 70 years. So he says, you're going to be there 70 years. But this is what he tells them in verse 11. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. And graduates, if you get anything, get this. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you unexpected end, which means to give you a future and a hope. And what I want to tell you about this is that when you go down the road with God and with Christ, there will be times when you're going to be challenged in your faith. And there may be times when you might stumble. Don't think that God is just going to, is going to wipe you out with a lightning storm or something. You know what he has? He has thoughts for you. Remember Solomon? He told Solomon, I, I respect and, I, and I, I love your prayer. But he never told Solomon, but I know what you're going to do a few years down the road. You see, every day, live your life seeking the face of God. Seeking the face of Jesus. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me. Where? In their captivity. Any time that you might have been captive to the thoughts of the, of the world, this is the time to seek the face of the Lord, because when you do, the Lord will hear you. 
You shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. I don't want you to be a half-hearted Christian. I want you to be a whole-hearted Christian. You seek God with all your heart. Because that is what he will hear. And that's what he'll know. And that's what he'll see. Does he know that we'll make mistakes along the way? Of course he does. But he has an everlasting love for each and every one of you. And for all of you here today. God loves you with an everlasting love. So I'm going to wrap this up here very quickly because I'm already late. The bell hasn't rung yet though, okay? I was a teacher, so I know about bells. Okay, you ready? Just, just remember these things. Jesus is coming soon. Remember that. And remember it because he said so. To his disciples before he went to the cross, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is coming, because he said so. So be ready. Be ready. Live your lives, and live them right, but be ready. Keep looking up. Jesus said, keep looking up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Your redemption is coming. It can come at any moment. Know him. Love him. Serve him. Live for him. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. You humble yourself, he lifts you up. Because he is your strength in your times of weakness. So I'm just going to ask you to do one thing as you leave this place today and as you go into the areas that I hope and pray you've been praying about. Because you all have a lot of plans that were up here. You're going to plan to go here, you plan to go there. That's wonderful. But make sure God's in the plan. Make sure he's in the plan. So I want you to pray. And pray every day. And don't set prayer aside, because that's saying, I know Jesus and he knows me. This is not about knowing about Jesus, this is about knowing him personally, just like you know me and I know you now, for most of you. So if my people, if my people, my question to you this morning is, are you God's people? Are you his? Are you truly his? If my people, which are called by my name, and he has a beautiful name, it's Yeshua, Jesus Christ. That's the name that he's given us. Shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. You know why that's important? Pray and seek face? Because, again, we're talking about a personal relationship. We're talking about an intimate relationship with Jesus. Not a quick prayer out the door and then that's it, you know. Or a lot of repetitiveness. No, no, no. Time spent with Jesus. Seek his face. And turn from their wicked ways. 
We all know the things that we need to lay before God. The things that we say, Lord, I don't want this in my life anymore. Lay them down. And then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. This is what our land needs, right? If our young people would start trusting in the Lord, some things will turn around. But even if they don't, Jesus is coming. He said so. Be ready. Be ready. I love you guys. And Jesus loves you. Your parents love you. This congregation loves you. Represent Jesus well from this day forward. Amen? Shall we pray?